I've been reflecting and teaching in the last year on the really the nature of our ordinary conditioning and how we work on that ordinary conditioning of our mind and heart and body so that we awaken. And I've been interested in trying to clarify a number of different dimensions whereby uh, change and transformation occur. And looking at how our mode of thinking shifts as we awaken. How does our sense of our bodies change? How do our emotions change? How does our sense of self shift? And in this inquiry, I've been really asking three questions. One is, what is the nature of our ordinary conditioning around a given parameter? And secondly, as far as we can tell from our own experience and from reading, what seems to be the nature of an awakened being in terms of that parameter. And then thirdly, how do we go from one to two? Or how do we go from our ordinary conditioning to uh, awakening? And this evening I want to explore that in terms of how we relate to time. and look at what is some of the ordinary conditioning around time that we experience, and some of which is actually more subtle, and we're not always very uh, conscious or aware. What is that ordinary conditioning in relation to time? What seems to be the way that a Buddha or an awakened being relates to time or doesn't relate to time? And then how do we practice? And so I'm going to look at those uh, first two, some, and really point to ways of practicing, some of which we explored in the, in the uh, silent period, you know, through the uh, guided practice. And I'll be returning next week in the future. (laughs) Or I plan to. You never know. And my plan is to come back next week and invite those who are interested to practice during this coming week and explore your experience of time in a fairly simple way, not... Not very different, pretty much what we did, you know, which is to see what the conditioning is, try to explore how to be more in the present moment, track impermanence, and so forth. So I'll review that at the end, but that'll be the, that's the structure of my talk. I want to leave plenty of time for discussion. Then I'll invite us for the next week, if you so choose, to practice, gather together, Share stories, share what you found, 
and go a little bit more deeply into how we work with the ordinary conditioning of time. And we could take a long time on this subject and hopefully have a good time. <laughs> we shall see. So, so first of all, to start by saying that uh, maybe it doesn't need to be said, but time is mysterious. It's a very mysterious. Um, this is from the, uh, I think, Argentinian novelist, uh, Juan Maria Borges. Borges. Am I saying it right? Huh? Borges. Borges. Okay, thank you. In translation, uh, he says, time is the substance I am made of. Time is a river which sweeps me along, but I am the river. It is a tiger that devours me, but I am the tiger. It is a fire that consumes me, but I am the fire. I think that quotation is also mysterious, right? But I think that maybe can open things up, that time is very mysterious. We move in time, sometimes... Time seems to move quickly, sometimes slowly. And I think I just heard something today from uh, Roshi Joan Halifax. And she said that most people who are going to die today do not know that. It's mysterious in other ways that we often find that our most precious experiences are ones that we might call timeless. That when we actually move out of a conscious sense of time, we often have our most precious experiences with others, with, with uh, opening to the depths of our being. And it's also an area that there's uh, enormous cultural conditioning in. You know, and so, uh, let me see if I can find this, that um, th- there's uh, powerful cultural conditioning, I think very strong in this culture, that there are very, very different ways to experience time. There are a number of languages, such as the Hopi language, which actually don't have any future or past tense. They cannot make a statement about doing something in the future or something having happened in the past. The language doesn't permit it in the way that we can do so in English. The closest it comes is they can say something like sooner or later. That's that's it, right? And um, interestingly, the sense that we often have that time is objective and standard 
is fairly recent. Do you know that mechanical clocks only developed in the year 1300 or so? Before that, there were not mechanical clocks. There were, um, in the Western world, there were sundials probably around the world. I found this amazing passage where this uh, Roman playwright from 200 uh, uh, BCE was complaining about the massive use of sundials and how it was affecting people's ability to be spontaneous. <laughs> You're an amazing quote. He was saying just, everyone is so preoccupied with these darn sundials. <laughs> you know, just like you, someone might make an observation, like, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I go on BART, and it's like 90% of the people are like, like that, right? And so... Uh, So here's, uh, but actually, do you know that until the late 19th century, there wasn't any sense of having really, really standard time that every town and community in the United States more or less had its own time. It was, they were kind of related, but it wasn't standard. And a lot of it was based also just on light and dark and night and day and so forth. And then things got standardized at the end of the 19th century. And so uh, people until very recently would regard the way we relate to time as very strange. Having a sense of objective time and, and also being so uh, preoccupied with time. This is from uh, a study that looked at time cross-culturally. The time orientation of a culture affects how it values time and the extent to which it believes it can control time. For example, America is often considered to be very future-oriented as compared to more present-oriented France and past-oriented Britain. (laughs) Often, uh, but not always, a past orientation arises in cultures with a long history, like India or China, and a future orientation in younger countries. Future-oriented cultures tend to run their lives by the clock. The United States is one of the fastest-paced countries in the world. Americans are always looking for the future, It is a culture that values busyness and it equates a hectic and frenzied lifestyle with success, status, and importance. Japan is also extremely time conscious, although the Japanese probably lay more emphasis on time management and efficient lifestyles than Americans and consequently may feel less constantly rushed and frustrated. And so just one other thing I found out that um, in Japan a train is considered late if it is more than one minute different than its stated time. Whereas in many other parts, maybe in much of Europe, that figure is 15 minutes. And in India, a train can be as much as a day late without people worrying too much. (laughs) Right, so what this really points to is that more than we might 
think, and certainly more than I thought before I was exploring time like this, the conditioning is really strong. Maybe, maybe we know that. And I just wanted to mention some of the forms of conditioning that I've seen in myself and that we can point to because part, part of our practice that I'm going to encourage is just looking at what kind of conditioning you have. And maybe like you, uh, I was really raised to be a planner. When I first started meditating, it would be like uh, in, out, in, out, planning. In, out, planning. (laughs) And it would be like that. And uh, a lot of planning. And I didn't realize, I was a student at the time, and I didn't realize I was planning so much. But I was planning like all the time. And it's kind of big in my family. Like my sister has a master's degree in planning. (laughs) And actually earns her living at Kaiser in Oakland as a health planner. Very nice salary for being a planner. (laughs) And in our family, you know, after the kids had gone away and we would come back, this is my sense of things, that uh, we'd have family gatherings and before we even asked how we, each of us were doing, we would plan when we would meet together again. <laughs> Anyone relate to this? Anyone have strong planning tendencies? Yeah, so I think, yeah, it's very, very common. And so that's a pattern we can look at. And again, and obviously planning has a lot of virtues, but the encouragement here is just to see what's there for you. What's your pattern? Later, you know, when I had done a lot of meditation, I was uh, surprised. I was doing a retreat. I'd been doing quite a lot of retreats. And one retreat, my mind got quiet enough so that I could notice, it got very quiet, and I could notice that there was a kind of fear of actually being in the present moment. That all my conditioning around planning almost was an attempt to control experience such that when I could not control experience, there was some fear. It was really startling to see. You know, and, I got, and obviously I could then learn, can I just be with this very, very quiet mind being present and just open to being present? It was not easy, but it was startling to see the fear that I had no idea was there that you know, can be there connected with our planning or even our attempts to control the future. Right? And so this is a, partly an invitation to look at that, look at those patterns. We can look at sometimes how we want to stop time. Sometimes we do that with photography. We take pictures. Some people do that by trying to prevent aging. That's very, very common because uh, this is a kind of culture in which uh, it seems like there's a very strong stress on being young or looking young, right? And um, getting older isn't so good, right? In fact, some of you may know that when they study 
uh, what's called implicit bias. Do you know implicit bias? That when they've done research on that, implicit bias is the unconscious bias that one has towards members of certain groups. You know, groups that one could be actually part of. When one, but it you know it's been studied especially in regard to ethnicity. Uh, an, uh, you know, an unconscious implicit bias, you know, toward, you know, that, uh, you know, they've studied how police have that towards African-Americans and so forth. And, and it's uh, very widespread, you know, and according to all the different groups that we might expect, you know, unconscious bias in relation to race, ethnicity, uh, gender, uh, appearance, body type, and so forth, education level, what they found is that the strongest kind of implicit bias, surprisingly to me, is towards older people. It doesn't have the same effect as institutional bias or implicit bias towards, let's say, African Americans, because that's connected with all sorts of institutional power. But uh, the actual bias that people have, it's strongest in terms of uh, relation to older people. I wouldn't have thought that. That's what the research found. And of course, it's internalized in older people. Right? And so we may want to stop time and appear to be younger than we are because it's related to that kind of cultural bias. So we may want to dye our hair or do things that make our, uh, us look younger as it, as it were to stop time. And again, we can, we can try to control time in all sorts of ways. Uh, one of the things that we find when we uh, look closely at how we construct time is that it's the sense of time is very much connected with a sense of self, right? That uh, uh, my sense of controlling time or stopping time may be very much connected with my sense of who I am. And part of the invitation in the next week is to look at that conditioning. When you notice a sense of time, do you also have a sense of self? Is that strong in that way? It's interesting that uh, children don't have a fully developed sense of time until they're eight or nine years old. They have some sense of time, but the ability to say this happened last year or this happened three years ago, that doesn't develop until they're eight or nine. And so children in many ways can be in that more in the present moment as we know. And but that time develops slowly and isn't there for, for quite some time. Also, kind of mysteriously, we know that we can have a lived sense of time in which time is sometimes slow and sometimes fast, right? When when is time slow? When you're having a hard time, so to speak. Right, or when one's, uh, you know, there's some days 
where just the hours move so slowly and one wants them to be over. Right? And then there are other times where times move so quickly. Those of you who've done retreats know that it's very mysterious. I often find myself talking at retreats and saying, on the third day of a retreat, how long have we been here? Is this the ninth day? And people yes, say yes. <laughs> but then it's also over so quickly. Right? So it's very mysterious how, how time appears. There's a, there's a wonderful little story and poem that I learned from uh, the poet Gary Snyder. And uh, it goes like this. He was talking with the poet Lou Welch. They were around a campfire. And uh, after a long silent period, Lou Welch said to Gary Snyder, Gary, do you think the rocks pay attention to the trees? And Gary Snyder said, what you getting at, Lou? <laughs> and and, Lou, and the, this other guy is also a poet. He said, well, um, let's see. Oops. Well, the trees are just passing through according to the rocks. And so Gary Snyder wrote a poem. As the cricket's soft autumn hum is to us, so are we to the trees, as are they to the rocks and the hills. And so I'll just mention one or two other patterns you know, that, we, that we can find in our conditioning. One of them is always rushing. We're trying to get things done. How many of us find that quite a bit in our experience, right? It's mysterious. I find that sometimes. I'm in the middle of a one-month retreat, and I'm sitting in the forest, and I notice my mind wanting to rush. It's really something, right? It's, where does that come from? It's so inappropriate, right? But it's like in the conditioning. Or we notice that we want to fill up time. You know, that I, I've heard from uh, people I work with. I was on vacation, and I didn't have anything to do that an obvious way, and I got really nervous. And I tried to fill up time on my vacation where you have a day off. And it's just like the patterns of filling up time can be so strong. Right? So that's the encouragement to see. Because what we really are uh, invited to do, we can get a sense from the, uh, from the teachings of the Buddha and from other awakened beings that what we're really being invited to do are a few things. And I want to mention four practices in relationship to time. The first of them we've already covered. It's really studying our habits, our, our conditioning, our patterns related time. And could do it in a very simple way in formal meditation, much like I guided, just when you, you try to stay in the present moment, when you notice your mind going to the future or the past, just study it. What's driving it? What's generating that? See what it's like. See how often you do that. And then in daily life, just watch how you work with time. And it's not to say one's pattern is right or wrong or get rid of it, but just see what's there. Just illuminate just the um, patterns, the conditioning are there. So that's, that's the first type of practice I want to encourage, just seeing the patterns. And then the second and through the fourth forms of practice are to 
really cultivate some of the ways of uh, practicing that take us towards what we could think are more the way the Buddha relates to time or the way that an awakened being relates to time. And one of those would be to be in the, in the present moment, to be, uh, in a sense, not relating so much to time. You know, this is where we move into even a sense of the present moment is timeless. You know, that, uh, let me see if I can find this passage. Yeah, this is from the Buddha. Do not pursue the past. Do not lose yourself in the future. The past no longer is. The future has yet has not yet come. Looking deeply at life as it is now, in the very here and now, the practitioner dwells in stability and freedom. So can we be with the present moment, whatever is happening? So know the breath in the present moment, or know even thinking about time, know it in the present moment. Come to see the experience of the past as an experience in the present moment. That's what's interesting, right? We do experience, but we don't really experience the past. We experience in the present moment, we have thoughts about the past. I think it was, there's a line from uh, William Faulkner, the novelist, he says, the past is not gone. In fact, the past is not really past. But rather, what we experience is orienting to what we think the past, something in the past, but we do that in the present moment. Same thing with the future. So when you look at your practice, either in formal practice or daily life, you can see how you experience the past or the future actually in the present moment. That's interesting to explore that. So that's a first way, uh, way or a second way of practicing. Try in meditation or in the flow of daily life to be more in the present moment. And then when you're planning, see if you can have that be an experience in the present moment and say, now I will plan in the present moment. Not easy, right? Because we just go into that mental groove of planning. But see if you can consciously do planning or consciously be in the thinking about the past, but have it be a present moment experience. So this is not so easy, right? Because it's like, you know, we've done this, what, millions of times. We've been with our habits millions of times. But our practice is very much to learn to be in the present moment. So maybe find some maybe one or two activities during the week where when you're doing them, you're, you say, I will really take this activity, could be washing the dishes or taking a walk and say, I'm going to be in the present moment and try to do that. So that's a second practice. A third practice can be to really notice the flow of change. Because actually what is time but the ability to track change. That's what time is. 
time is the moment of change. And a lot of, uh, well, maybe next time I'll talk a little bit about how time is seen in physics because some physicists say that the essence of time is just noticing that change is occurring. And that's what clocks help us do. Oh, there's change, there's, some, there's movement. And so we can actually, much like in the guided practice, we can study impermanence. We can really notice change moment to moment. Typically, we don't notice that. Remember, the Buddha said that looking into impermanence is one of the three areas that bring liberating insight. The other two being looking into dukkha, or what we often translate as suffering, as opposed to pain, but that reactivity of pushing something away or grabbing hold. So, uh, and the third is looking into the structures of the self, into anatta or not-self. But the first of these is to really look at change and impermanence, and it's not hard to do. But it can be very illuminating to do that for a sustained period. Do it in a sitting. Just watch change. And again, the, the easiest way to do that in practice, very simple, is to just take one sense, like body sensations or sound, be in a place where there's some sound, and just notice how change occurs with sound. A sound occurs, it stops, another sound or body sensations are there, something changes, just be with that. It's actually a very beautiful way to practice and can be very illuminating. It can be a way of practice that you can do in a retreat. I've sometimes just stayed with the flow of impermanence for days on end. And actually, I have found that when I do that, actually a lot of joy arises because it's like with, I'm with, with the very heart of the movement of life. It's very powerful, right? And in um, a, lot of tra- a lot of other traditions as well, actually being with impermanence is a doorway into some of the deepest insights. It's often taken also to give us a sense of urgency. If we really look at impermanence carefully, we'll, uh, we'll want to be free. Okay, so maybe I'll say more about that next week. And then the last uh, area, which I'll go into more next week, is that it's possible with our, our being in the present moment also to enter into what we might call a kind of timeless awareness in which we uh, are present, but in a sense we go beyond time. And so even to say it's timeless isn't quite right because it's beyond either time or the timeless. And we, we can um, access that. And I'll, give, I'll do next time I'll do a guided practice which helps us to access this sense of a timeless awareness and a lot of the aim of practice is to learn to live from that more and more. And we'll, we'll look into that more next time. Um, maybe I'll close with, let me see if I can find this. I'll just close with a very brief line. Let me see where I can find this. Uh, This is from uh, Mary Oliver, the poet. This is uh, from her poem, 
on, uh, actually on death. Some of you probably know this, or maybe a lot of you. It's called When Death Comes. How many of you know that poem? Very, very beautiful poem. And I'm not finding it, so I have it somewhat by memory, but we'll see what happens. Uh, She's talking in the poem about, um, oh, here, I think it's here. She's talking about opening to uh, seeing death as a mystery. And she concludes, and therefore, I see time as one way of looking at things, and I consider eternity another possibility. So I'll stop here and maybe just invite a moment of quiet and reflection. I'll invite us to work with um, one or more of those four practices. First, looking at our conditioning in formal meditation and daily life. Secondly, having the practice of coming back and being in the present moment. Thirdly, tracking impermanence. And fourthly, probably I'll have to invite that next time, but opening to a kind of timeless awareness. So if this draws you, just see how you'd like to work with that in the next week. Let me ask, how many of you, you can raise your hands, how many of you would like to explore time in the next week and come back and compare notes? Okay, very good. Very good. I'll do the same. (laughs) And let me then invite any... uh, questions or comments, reflections. Uh, We have a a microphone here. So is anyone, I think we want to use the the mic. Anyone willing to bring this to a person who raises the hand? Anyone want to ask a question or make a comment? Um, as my name is Stephen, as far as uh, not planning and living in the present, but you still have to soak your beans tonight to cook them tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, and the question is, what's your mind and heart and body like when you soak the beans? Right. That's the that's the practice question. When you're soaking the beans and you have a sense of the future, are you doing so in the present moment? Or are we preoccupied? Oh, I'm really worried about these beans. Oh, I hope it doesn't work out like last time. You know, so, so yeah, the fact is we live in time and can we, can we, because I think it's possible 
to even from the place of the timeless be with time. In the, in the Jewish Hasidic tradition, they had a phrase of dragging the now, dragging time, no, it was this way, dragging time into the timeless. And so they talked about being with the timeless and from within that, let time do its thing. So can we, can we have that way or are we, do we lose the sense of the present and the timeless in navigating time? That's, that's the question. But yeah, it's not like we suddenly uh, stop referring to time. I think so that's, that's, that's an important point. Um, yeah, thanks um, for your talk uh, this evening. Um, it's a fascinating subject, time. Um, one of the strangest expressions we have is about wasting time. Yeah. As if it's possible to waste time. And yeah. I think sometimes <clears throat> when we're trying to get children to do things, we say, oh, come on, you're just wasting time. So it's built in at, at an early age that yeah. wasting time may mean that you've got your prior, priorities wrong, yeah. that we have a schedule, and this is what it looks like, and if you're not following it, you're wasting. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it, interesting. We buy time, and we yeah, make we, time. We buy we, time. <laughs> yeah, we make time. It's, um, it's really quite interesting, and... Um, so when we have a sense of wasting time, we often have a sense of time is a scarce commodity, which there's some obvious truth to that, right? Again, I know in the Jewish tradition, it's said that our days are numbered. Right? So, yeah. Uh, and then up, up front next, yeah. Hi. Hi, my name's Louisa, and um, I've definitely observed the planning mind being very active when I'm trying to meditate. And my observation is that it's stemming from greed yeah. and from just wanting to get the absolute most out of my time and yeah. make sure I'm doing the most, whatever, advantageous or fun or yeah. engaging activities or have all the ingredients so when I get home I can make that amazing dinner or... Yeah. Um, anyway, I just wanted to share that. So some that. sense of greed. Yeah, that's what I observe. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So wanting, uh, just wanting more and more, yeah. So, so this is what I'm encouraging us to look at, you know, because that's, that's a great insight. But can we, can we see that? And if you notice that in the moment then how to respond? Let's say you notice, oh, I'm manifesting greed in relation to time, then what might be your response, right? Is, is there a way for me to, well, first of all, notice it, but then can I, what do I do? Do I let go? Or do I, do I say, um, um, let me just uh, see what would be middle way or whatever, right? So the main thing is to look at it, but then see if there is a response uh, once you have that insight, right? Yeah. 
and then then, then up here. Yeah, uh, Jackie, you can go. Okay. Yeah. I am. I'm a nurse. I work at all debates. Yeah. So, in my nursing life, there is always ten more things that should be done in the amount of time that we're given to get them done. So it's a little louder. Uh, there's like ten things that need to be done in the amount of time that we really have to do one. Yeah. So at work, I'm so conscious of time and rushing all the time. Yeah. But in my other life, my real world life, I'm much the opposite. I don't. I turn my cell phone off. Yeah. You know, I'm doing this or that, and I have to make lists of really the important things that must be done in the week. So it's always such a dichotomy for me. Yeah. Non-work days or in the work days. Well, it's it's wonderful that on a non-work day, you can set the boundaries. Right, I think that's really crucial. And again, when I talk with people, a lot of people even have trouble doing that, that there's sort of an invasion of that time structuring and planning into all the time, right? And it's, hard, it's harder. Uh, and you know, I, I really value like a Sabbath day. I've, been, I've done in my own life a Sabbath day probably almost every week in the last 35 years just have a day with boundaries where time is different, where I'm outside of the time pressure, right? And I think we need that to really be able to see what our patterns are. It's very hard to do it when we're caught up all the time. And so, yeah, and also I know I've been doing some consulting in medical areas in the last year, and it's it's, it's hard, right? You know, and doctors are, are told, you have 15 minutes per patient, per patient meeting or 20 minutes. And, and uh, often there's more, you know, more that's supposed to be done than there's actually time for. You know, I see that in a lot of work settings. How many of you can relate to that in your own work setting where you're actually, it's a setup, right? It's a setup and uh, it can be painful, but it's organized around getting the most out of your time but it doesn't, it's actually often not realistic, right? So, so yeah, please, thank you. Um, so in my experience, it's only when I am thinking, so my thoughts are equal time. When I'm not thinking, even if I am observing change, yeah. I could I can be present in the moment and the change doesn't necessarily equal time. Yeah. But it is only my thoughts yeah. that create time. Yeah. So So does I don't know how real our thoughts are. That's right. No, it's it's very very helpful. Uh, you know, it's a very helpful uh, addition to our discussion mm-hmm. that uh, I didn't mention it so much, but uh, I think you're exactly right that uh, uh, time can be seen to be a kind of mental construction. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Certainly children have to learn to construct time. It's not there at the beginning, right? They have to learn to construct it Uh, The philosopher Kant said that time is a necessary construction for human beings. But he didn't say that it was part of the ultimate reality, right? And and so 
noticing how time is a kind of construction and see and what that means it can also be deconstructed right and one can learn to be without that construction so so partly what the invitation is see when that construction appears and then we can learn through our meditative tools our meditative practices to in a sense deconstruct time and some of that is very similar i think we're being pointed to by what you're saying is that in meditation we can learn oh where we can see oh i'm right now with my thinking i'm constructing time i'm you know making it making myself in time now but i can notice it and let go right and open more to the present moment right so i think that's very helpful to see kind of the constructed nature of time yeah and it almost seems like um when i am thinking i'm creating this other world yeah that has its own story and i get carried away on the wind on the wings of the story and i am lost in another time again so that That's is right. what time is That's right uh, it's a different zone um and i'm really grateful that i am here tonight because um my sibling and i lost um our mother last night oh. and it has been really hard and i have been so much in my head mm. about that sense of loss that yeah. she i can't bring her back that the sorrow has been so deep and yet tonight sitting here when i was in meditation for the first time since last night i was in this place uh of darkness silence looking for her and i was like wow this is such a beautiful place i have no reason to be sad she's in a great place mm. if that is where you go after you leave the body yeah you know i can only imagine <laughs> i don't know yeah, yeah. but um so it it just gave me such a sense of relief so it was yeah. good to meditate and i think that is the difference being in my head and my story right. takes me completely to another uh, right. experience of this life and um at times it can be quite dangerous yeah yeah thank you and and thank you for also sharing the uh sense of loss i think we can be there with you and maybe it's uh i want to actually move to the meta which is can be good but be happy to talk i'm actually it's coming up with a several year anniversary of my mother's death and uh i had the privilege of in a way uh her death was a little unexpected but it was I had planned to be doing 4 weeks on personal retreat and it actually happened 6 days after she died so the grieving process could come very uh unimpeded but the but I think you're very right to say that can watch how the thinking process can in a way get in the way of that so be happy to talk afterwards if you'd like to some so want to move to the 
the metta and maybe hold those of us who want to help hold that uh, your experience with that sense of uh, kindness and compassion. And I'll just read these uh, cards. Actually, there are only two of them. And then we'll, we'll do a guided metta practice very briefly. To, I think it's to Tengai struggling with her mental health. To Andy with a mental health crisis. And so feel the, if you can, a sense of warmth or friendliness in your heart. Maybe bring to mind a being that evokes warmth or friendliness or kindness. And see if you can feel that sense of warmth as a energy in your heart area, in the heart center. This is the energy we call metta or loving kindness, uh, very close in meaning to friendliness, a kind of warm, expansive friendliness. And let that energy be there in your heart and feel it radiating out from your heart and filling up our meditation hall here, moving in front and back of you to the left and right, above and below, filling up this hall coming out from your heart in these six directions, wishing well to everyone here May we all be well, may we be safe, may we be as healthy as possible. May we be free, may we be happy. Letting the energy continually radiate out from the heart in front and back, left and right, above and below. filling the entire space with the energy of warmth and kindness. And then let that energy start moving beyond these walls out into the world, into the city of Berkeley, moving out in all directions, left and right, front and back, above and below. moving out in all directions, wishing well to all beings that we encounter as we move outward. And ultimately moving out into space without limit, our heart energy radiating out in these six directions. Every being that we encounter, we wish well to. sense of radiating out from the heart now without limit in all directions. 
and then coming back and being again here in the hall. Being present. Now, again, remind us of that intention for the next week to work with exploring the experience of time in these different ways, our seeing our patterns, our conditionings, being in the present moment and, and looking into how things change. And set your intention if that feels resonant with you. And we close with what we call a dedication of merit where we invite the benefits of our evening, of our practice to be there for us, for everyone who's been in this hall, but then also to be offered to others. Ultimately, all beings, may the benefits of our practice and our time together be offered to all beings, remembering that this includes us. So thank you kindly and uh, I'll plan to be here next week and I hope to see many of you and to hear what you've uh, explored. So have a good time. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.